0: That I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bible, the Song of Solomon, chapter eight. Song of Solomon, chapter eight. On the previous Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the love of God, the extravagant love of God, and for the next number of Wednesdays, this is the topic we're going to talk about. To our minds, are so renewed, we've lost religion and grabbed onto Jesus. To realize how much God really does love us because it's the belief in his love that fuels our faith. And so if you missed any of these messages, I encourage you to get the podcast or get the notes. So Song of Solomon is an interesting book because when you look at the book, there are parallels of God's love for Israel. There's parallels of Jesus' love for the church and there's parallels between a husband and a wife. And so you can see that all throughout the book, and there's many many wonderful things about the book. But when I was meditating on what to minister last night, this phrase came up because I knew a psalm that was about this phrase from the book. In the first part of verse 5, it says, who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? And so we've been talking about how much God loves us. We've been talking about leaving the wilderness and going into the promised land. Leaving situations you've been stuck in, ready to go to what God has really called you on. The way you're going to get out the wilderness is because you're going to be leaning on your beloved. It's not you're getting out because you were strong, because you were smart. It's because you learn how to lean. Look at your neighbor and say, learn how to lean. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. You're coming out of this wilderness. You're coming out of the season because you're going to be leaning on your beloved. The one who loves you so much, he loves your soul. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean what? Not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. This word lean means to support oneself, to rely on, to trust, to rest, and to stay. And so instead of leaning on our own insight, on our own thinking, on our own ways, the Bible says we should trust or lean on God. But the thing is, we're so trained to lean on what we think, to lean on what we feel. And that's what we rely on. But we, if we're going to come out of a season, if we're going to come out of a situation, if we're going to walk in the victory God has for us, we have to learn how to rely on, trust in, lean on God. Not lean on what you can do, because you could maybe do some great things, but you can't do what you really need to do to get to the place where God wants you to go. You can't get to the place that God has prepared out of his extravagant love for you by yourself, by your own effort. Because what God has prepared for you is more than you can imagine. It's exceedingly abundant, far above all you can ask, pray for, or think. It's because he loves you that he prepared it, but you can't get there by yourself. you only get there if you learn how to lean on the one that loves you. You'll only get there if you learn how to trust and rely on the one that loves you, not everything else around you. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not your own understanding, your own insight, your own power, your own ability, your own wisdom. So, we're gonna look at a few examples. So, let's go to 2nd Chronicles chapter 13. we am gonna spend a lot of time in 2nd Chronicles tonight. Let's look at some examples of learning how to lean. 2nd Chronicles 13. So we know the story of King Saul, and after that was King David. Then there was King Solomon. King Solomon was wise and ruled well for a part of his reign. But at the end of his reign, his heart began to depart from God. He began to serve multiple gods. He got caught up in a lot of different things, and God said, judgment is coming, and you're going to lose part of the kingdom. But because I love David, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. It's going to happen in your son's lifetime. You're only going to kill. Keep two tribes, and the other ten are going to leave you. And so Rehoboam, Solomon's son, makes some foolish decisions, and as a result, the kingdom splits in two. Now, God didn't want these kingdoms to fight each other. The southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah. The northern one is the kingdom of Israel. He stopped their wars before and said, be at peace one with the other. But throughout their history, they're fighting back and forth. Rehoboam eventually dies. Jeroboam, who's a king of the northern kingdom, is still king. And Abijah becomes king over Judah. So he reigns three years in Jerusalem, 2 Chronicles chapter 13. It tells about his family lineage. And it says, and Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. Now... You don't have to be a great math scholar. 400,000 versus 800,000 is not going well. So look at what's going to go happen. What does the king do? He stood up upon the mount and said, hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Now, one of the things you have to learn about Jeroboam, he was so concerned, even though God made him a promise. He says, if you follow me, I'm going to prosper you, and the kingdoms going to stay with you and your children. But he was afraid that all the people would stop following him if they went down to worship in Jerusalem, which was in the southern kingdom. So he said, you know what, to the people, it is too much for you to travel all the way to Jerusalem. So let me make you two other places to go to worship. It's more convenient. These two golden cows, they're the ones who brought you out of Egypt. Bow down, worship for them, and then he creates new holidays for them, creates new festivals and he hires the lowest people, the people of the worst moral reputation, to be priests. And when he studied out, people could buy their way into the priesthood. If they brought a certain amount of things, they could get themselves a position. And so they could bribe and become one of the elite. So this is the religion Jeroboam created, a religion of fear and convenience. And so he's caused all of Israel to sin and stop serving God. And so the king of the southern kingdom stands up and says, Jeroboam. You're not walking with God, I am. So listen to his speech. He talks about how you've rebelled. And verse 8, and now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hands of the sons of David. So I'm a son of David, I got a covenant, and I'm walking with God. And you are a great multitude, and there are with you golden calves with Jeroboam made for you for gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made you priests? after the manner of the nations of the other lands, so that whosoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bullock, seven rams, he's going to buy his way into the priesthood. This is, that's what we're doing down here. The Lord is our God. We have not forgotten him. We have not forsaken him. And the priests are doing their job like God told them to. So it goes on to say, you have forsaken, you have forgotten God, but we haven't. O children of Israel, don't fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you're not going to prosper. You 800,000 army, you are not going to win. Now, those are some big words when you only got 400,000. It looks like you're about to be wiped out. But he's saying we're walking with God. We trust God. We're following God. But then what happens? Verse 13, not only does Jeroboam have more men, he sets an ambush against them. So now Jeroboam's army is in front of him. And behind them, they are surrounded. So it looks like they're all about to die. But what happened? When Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried unto who? And the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. So it doesn't say they somehow turned around because God himself hit them. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Ab- King Abijah, uh, Abijah Ab- yeah, that dude, and his people slew them with a great slaughter. So there fell down, slain of Israel, 500,000 chosen men. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time. And the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. That word relied is also translated leaned. So they won. They got the victory because they leaned on God. And the king pursued after Jeroboam and took cities from him. Talks about all the things he conquered. Then it says, neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of this king. And the Lord struck him and he died. So not only... Because they leaned on God, they win one victory. Because they leaned on God, their enemy could never recover strength again to hit him back. For the rest of his days, his enemy could not get him. To the point that God says, I'm dealing with him, he's not going to mess with you anymore. Why? Because they were smarter? No. Did they have a better battle plan? No. Did they have more numbers? No. The one reason they won the battle is because they leaned on God. They didn't lean on their own understanding. They leaned on God, and they followed their covenant with him. So go to chapter 14. So Abijah sleeps with his fathers. They bury him. I mean, he's dead. He's gone. His son reigns in his stead, and the, lion, the land has peace, quiet, no roar for ten years. And it says, King Asa did that which was good and right in the sight of the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the false gods. He commanded Judah to seek after the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also, he took away from all the cities all the high places and images. He's following God. And the kingdom was quiet and in peace before him. He builds up the cities because the land has rest. There was no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. So he tells Judah what to do. They're on this building campaign. He strengthens their army. And then you get to verse 9. There comes against him Zerah the Ethiopian with a host of a thousand thousand and three hundred 300 chariots and came unto Maresha. So here comes an army he can beat, a huge multitude he can't handle. But what did he say? And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with you to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God. For we rest, that word is also translated lean. Help us, God, because we're leaning on you. And in your name, we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So what was the result? Because this king leaned on God. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asen, the people that were with them pursued them down to Gerar. And the Ethiopians were overthrown, they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord and because of his host, and they carried away much spoil. And it talks about all the increase they got because of this war. What did they do? Only one thing, they leaned on God. And notice a connection. Once they lean on God, God does the fighting. He steps in, says, I got this. Why? They didn't lean to their own understanding. They leaned on God. But go to chapter 16, verse 1, we're still talking about the same king, King Asa. He's still ruling. He starts off with great things in the beginning of his reign. And so he's near the 36th year of his reign. he has been reigning for a long time. There's another king in the northern kingdom, Basha. He comes up against Judah. He builds the city so he can block anyone coming into Judah. So he's preparing a siege. Now, what does this king who relied on God 30 years ago do? What does this king who saw great victory because he learned to lean on God do? He takes all the silver and the gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sends it to the king of Syria that dwelt in Damascus, saying, there's a league between me and you just like there was between our fathers. So look, I've sent you this money. Don't fight with Israel. Don't be a partner with Israel. Fight against them. So they buy themselves partners. King of Syria turns, fights against Israel. Israel stops laying siege to Judah and goes to battle the Syrians. And so... You think, well, that's pretty smart. He's made a good business move. He saved Israel. But then the prophet of God comes to see him. And at that time, Hanai, the seer, the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, because you relied, it's also translated lean, on the king of Syria, because you leaned on that king, because you relied on that king, the the host of the king of Syria escaped out of your hand because the king of Syria wasn't their best friend's they also a potential enemy. Because we're not the Ethiopians and the Lubims, a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you leaned and relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward them. So how did this king realize and see the power of God? He leaned on God and got the result of God looking to show himself strong. It's not that God wants to be some far-off God and not manifest himself. He's always looking for opportunities to manifest his power, to manifest his provision, to manifest his love, but he's looking for someone who will let him do it. Over 30 years ago, King Asa was one who let God do it. He leaned on God. Well, this prophet saying, you didn't lean on God this time. You have done foolishly. You have done stupid. Therefore, from now on, you have wars. You had peace. You had victory. But now for the rest of your life, you're going to have to fight. You leaned on God in the past, but you got full of yourself, so you're not going to lean on him now, and now this is your result. Now, what did this righteous king do? Oh, God, I missed it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. No, he's still full of himself. He throws a prophet in jail because he's angry at him. He begins to make foolish decisions. And then he gets sick three years later. Disease in his feet. The disease kept going until he died. But it says an interesting thing in verse 12. Yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. There's nothing wrong with going to the doctor. Go to the doctor. There's nothing wrong with taking medicine. Please take your medicine. There's nothing wrong with doing all these natural things. It's just in this entire time he was sick, in the years he was sick, he never once asked God what to do. He never once leaned on God. He leaned on the doctors that he knew. And what was the result? He died. What is one of the lessons we can learn from King Asa? Just because you learned how to lean on God in the past, that can't be the only time you lean on God. If you expect to walk in a lifetime of victory and get to the place God has prepared for you, you have to continually lean on, rely, and trust in God. So go to 2 Chronicles 32. Asa had a son named Jehoshaphat. He learned from his father's mistakes. Three armies came against him. There's no way Judah can win. Jehoshaphat calls a nationwide prayer meeting. Everybody shows up. They say, God, you see what's going on? You know what's happening? We're not worried about it. Our eyes are on you. And then the Holy Ghost falls on a man of God. And he begins to prophesy. He says, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. The battle is the Lord's. They go forward. They put the praise team in front of the army. And they began to sing, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And as they sang, the enemies that came against him became confused and fought against each other, to not one remained. And Israel gathered up the spoils for three days. For whatever reason, this army brought all their money, all their silver, all their gold, all their good stuff, and they lost it all in one day because Jehoshaphat learned to turn to God in a time of trouble. Not what he could figure out. But what God could say to him. So years go by, generations go by, you get to King Hezekiah who's majority a good king in the view of the Bible. So 2 Chronicles 32, the king of Assyria comes to take Judah. He's conquered so many other nations, he thinks Judah is going to be next. Assyria is the one who takes down Israel, so now he thinks he can take down Judah. He was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, The king of Judah, Hezekiah does what he knew to do. He builds up the kingdom, the army, the walls, he makes wise decisions. And so, as it goes on, you get to verse six. And he said, Captains of war over the people, and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city, and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid, nor dismayed, don't be panicked. For the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with them, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The word rested means leaned. So he speaks these words of faith. He says, look, it looks bad. It looks horrible. But don't worry about how it looks. They only got what their might can do. We have God. There's more that's with us, sounds like the prophet Elisha, than there are with them. And the people believed, so they all leaned on God. Now what happens? The king of Assyria sends his propaganda machine. They speak in the tongue of the Hebrews, and they're yelling every day, saying, don't listen to Hezekiah. What is he telling you? And the thing is, they had a misunderstanding of how the Jewish religion works, so they're twisting everything. Every day, they're yelling over the city gates, saying, you're going to die, you're going to die, don't listen to Hezekiah, stop trusting that your God is going to save you, who can save you. Hezekiah hears all these things, takes all these letters they sent out, spreads them before the Lord, turning to the Lord, what should we do? And God sends Isaiah with a word, tells him that he's going to deliver him. And in one night... An angel comes and takes down 120,000 men one night. To the point the king of Assyria turns around and says, I got to go. I lost this many people on one night and none of us fought. But the thing is, he went home and his house killed him. So he could never come back and hurt the people again. Because they learned how to lean on God. So, it seems a recurring thing that if you lean on God and stay leaning on God, not only do you get the victory, but as such a victory, your enemy can't recover and hit you again. So many times we go through battles doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. We think, when am I finally going to be done with it? You're finally going to be done with it when you learn how to lean on God and stay. We have to teach ourselves to stay like we teach dogs to stay. Sit. Stay. You walk away, they begin to follow you. Nope. Stay. Stay. Good boy. If we learn to lean and stay on God, we'll be victorious. But it's not just leaning for a moment. It's leaning as long as necessary until the victory comes. It's not leaning on God, jumping off, going, this is crazy. Leaning on God, going, doing your own thing. It's stayed tr- in a place of trust, reliance, and faith in God. What's one of the benefits of it? Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That word stayed is also translated leaning on you because he trusts in you. If you get to a place where you lean on God, keep your mind focused on his promises. Even though mess explodes around you, you're going to be at peace. It doesn't mean you don't see all the things happening around you. It just knows you're going to win. He's like, well, how are you going to win? I don't know. I'm just leaning on God. He got it. Well, how's God going to live you? I have no clue, but God's got it. I'm leaning on him. See, one of the things I'm preaching on Sunday about expecting supernatural intervention. I was in the gym a few weeks ago. I was listening to a message from a man of God preaching on different things. And in the series, he was talking about gates. And the Lord spoke something to my spirit. It had nothing to do with God's message. But it was just a phrase that says, God is going to shake the gates. And I began to think and study that out. And I prayed, I'll preach it tomorrow on Sunday. But... Satan's strategies come from his gates. The gates of hell are likened to a prison, holding things back. There are things that are being held back in the gates of hell that belong to you. But when God shakes the gates, everything that belongs to you has to come to you. When you learn to lean on God and stay there, You'll get such a victory that that problem can't mess with you again. It's not, I'm trying to fight it for the rest of my life. No, I'm in such a place of trust and faith in God, this thing will never rise up again. God's going to smote it himself. God's going to hit it himself and deal with it for me. Go to Deuteronomy 33. Spring it to a close. Lean on God. Who's that coming up out of the wilderness? That's you. Who's that coming out of that season? That's you. Who's that coming out of a rough time? That's you. Leaning on the one that loves you. Why? Because he's handling it. You don't have to handle it. He's going to handle it. Because you learned to lean. You learned to get out of your own way. Because now your faith is in God. And you're doing whatever he tells you to do. Deuteronomy 33. It says, The eternal God, verse 27, is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. That's where that song comes from. Holding up Israel is the everlasting arms of God. And to keep reading down the next few verses, you see they're leaning on the everlasting arms so they get victory. These arms can keep you propped up. These arms aren't going to get tired. Lean on super strong. Stand up, Leon. Let me lean on you. You can, hold, you can hold my weight. I know I need to lose weight, but you can hold me. So he can hold me up for a long time. Super strong. But after a couple of hours, days, because, you know, he's like Superman, he's going to get tired, and eventually I'm going to fall. But if you lean on God, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't get tired. His hand's not too short. His power has not waxed. He's got everything. So if you learn to lean on him, he'll never let you fall. So it's not as there's a shortage of the power of God, Is there it is a shortage of you leaning. Because Moses got fed up. And he says, God, how are you going to do this? You take all the fish of the sea and feed these people? He says, Moses, did I run out of power? Are my hands too small? Do I have not enough to take care of this? Whatever you're facing, are you saying God doesn't have enough to take care of? He's got this. You just have to learn to lean on the everlasting arms. Every day, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. But it is a daily thing. It's a moment-to-moment thing to lean on him because life will do everything it can to get you off from leaning from God. To get you to lean on your emotions, to lean on your wisdom, to lean on what someone else says. But you have to get to a place where you are a professional leaner. Doesn't matter what happens, I'm leaning on Jesus. Doesn't matter what comes my way, I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. Because what happens if that happens? I'm going to get such a victory, my enemy can't get back up again. I'm going to get such a victory, not because I'm such a great fighter, because my God stepped in and fought for me. And I stood still and saw the salvation of the Lord. All because I learned to lean, all because I learned to trust, all because I learned to rely. There are things you can't figure out. You're never going to figure it out. So you can either stay up all night, worry and stress and make yourself sick because you don't know what to do. Or you can lean on God and go to sleep. Because it says it's vain for you to stay up all night eating the bread of sorrows. He gives his beloved sleep. You're not going to figure it out, staying up all night go to bed. I remember when I was in college, I stayed on the 11th floor. My brother stayed on the 7th floor of the tower he lived in. And anytime time any of the guys that lived on this floor couldn't go to sleep, he says, go upstairs. Talk to my brother. He'll pray for you. You're going to sleep. And so I would take them to two scriptures, the one in Psalm, the one in Proverbs, that when you lay down, your sleep will be sleep. Sleep will be sweet. He gives his beloved sleep, take them through the scriptures, have them confess it, say, no, go. They tell my man, that was the best sleep I've ever had. And so that's what the normal thing was. Anytime people couldn't sleep, look, like, yep, yeah, go talk to Carrie. And that's what stopped spreading. People would knock on my door, hey, I haven't been I've not been having trouble sleeping. All right, look at these two scriptures. Why? It's a place of trust. See, you can sleep like a baby when you trust in God. Because you know He's got you. Worrying's not going to change anything, it's just going to make you sick. Stressing is not going to change anything, it's just going to break down your body. Lean on Jesus. Let's finish at Galatians 2.20. Scripture we looked at last week. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. What did Paul say? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Our faith is not in our ability, but our faith is in the one who loves us. So many times, like, well, we're faith people, but what is your faith in? Well, we believe in prosperity, but your faith isn't in prosperity. Well, we believe in healing, but your faith shouldn't be in healing. Well, we believe in wisdom, but your faith shouldn't be in wisdom. Well, we believe in having a whole family, but your faith shouldn't be in that. Your faith has to be in the God who heals. Your faith has to be in the God who provides. Your faith has to be in the God who gives wisdom. Your faith has to be in the God who makes families whole. Your faith has to be in the one that loves you. And so, yes, we believe in all these things, but our faith is not in these things. Our faith is in the one who loves us. And gave himself for us. Because if you keep meditating on the love of God, you keep confessing the love of God, keep thinking on the love of God, keeping your mind stayed on the love of God, you'll lean on God. And you will expect him to intervene because he loves you. You may not know everything in this situation. You know some scriptures to stand on and to pray. But you get like your are Jehoshaphat saying, hey, God, we've done everything we know to do. Our eyes on you. We're leaning on you. We're resting, we're relying, we're trusting on you. Why? You love us. And you're not going to let us down. That's a place of real faith. Sometimes faith is loud. Sometimes it shouts. Sometimes faith is quiet confidence, saying, I'm not going to be moved. The storm may come. The flood may rage, the house may shake, but I ain't going nowhere. I'm built on the rock, on leaning on the everlasting arms. We have to grow in our revelation of his love. Because as you get to the point, as we talked about last week, you'll get to a place where you're unstoppable, where nothing can move you, nothing can shake you. You look at things, and I looked at things today. I have no idea how that's going to work out. Eh, yeah, but it will. Oh, something like, yep, I have no idea how this will work out. But he loves me. And I'm leaning on him. Just got to get to a place. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You don't know enough people. You ain't cute enough. You ain't all these things. But your God is. And when you learn to lean, he can intervene. But if you lean to your own understanding, you'll get whatever you can do. But if you mature in the love of God, you can lean on him and he'll fight for you and your enemy won't be able to recover. That's not a one day victory. That's a permanent lasting victory that changes everything. Whether it's a personal struggle, a personal setback or sin or weight you're dealing with or a bigger thing facing you, you learn to lean, God will intervene, and you'll have the victory. You must lean on the everlasting arms. Amen? Stand to your feet. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to the one who loves us. Oh, we thank you for your wonderful love, sir. Help us lean on you. Bring us to a place of fresh revelation of your love and how to lean on you in our everyday life. Before we go, I want you to sing this chorus as Minister Dathan. Go ahead, sir.
1: Lean. secure from all-
0: Want you to sing it with them and imagine yourself leaning on Jesus. Go ahead minister David. revelation of the love of God, but at the Last Supper, Jesus said, somebody is going to betray me, and everyone goes, is it I, is it I, is it I, not I, Lord, not I, Lord. Jesus gives a vague answer, and John leans on him and says, His revelation of how much God loved him, it wasn't just to a point that he wrote the disciple that Jesus loved 60 years later. It was that while he knew Jesus for less than three years, he leaned on him and said, you can tell me. John expected to get revelation and answers from God that he didn't think God would give anyone else. Why, he believed God loved him. It got even to a point, they thought John was getting special treatment. They sent John to ask questions. said, like, We know Jesus loves him. John, you can get something. To the point, they, they thought John was not going to die. You read the end of the book of John, Jesus tells Peter, Here's what's going to happen to you at the end of your life. So Peter turns around and looks at John and says, Jesus, what about him? They all wanted to know what's going to happen to the one we know that you love. And he says, If I want him to stay alive till I come back, to Again, what's that to you? And they all thought, John's going to live forever. And John wrote the end of the book. doesn't mean I'm going to live forever. He just said, what's it to you? But he lived longer than anyone else. He had a revelation of how much God loved him. They tried to kill him. It just didn't work. Caesar met a man he couldn't kill. Why? He met a man who radically believed in how much God loved him have to get to that place because then you'll lean and then you'll get the victory amen let's just lift our hands and worship we worship you you are so wonderful you are so faithful you are good and your love never quits you are faithful to us you're worthy of all the glory, honor, and praise So we lean on you. We lean on you. We expect you. We expect supernatural intervention as we lean on you. We don't expect tomorrow just to be any old day. We expect to see results from leaning on you. We expect your intervention. We'll lean on you however long it takes. We know we'll see what we need to see because you're faithful. You didn't bring us here to leave us. You didn't bring us here to fail. We're not like those in the wilderness thinking that you brought us here to kill us. We're going to be those who come out of the wilderness leaning on our beloved. So we expect to come out of what we're facing with greater victory than we imagine because we lean. Say, my father loves me. He loves me as much as he loves Jesus. I lean on him. I trust him. I rely on him. I don't rely on my ability, on the arm of the flesh, on my wisdom. I rely on Jesus. Jesus made unto me righteousness, wisdom, wisdom, and sanctification my God loves me so he heals me my God loves me so he provides for me my God loves me so he shows me what to do my God loves me so he fights for me my God loves me
2: And yes, the more you lean on me, the more you rely on me, the more you trust in me, you'll see the evidence of my love has always been with you. You'll recognize that my love never left you. You'll see every place that my love has made manifest, every need answered. The more you rest on me, the more you lean on me, it'll become easier and easier for you to fight through the things that may try to resist you those things that may try to resist my promise, but continue to trust in me, continue to lean on me, continue to rely on me, and you will always have victory, victory that will speak volumes of my love for you, victory that will draw others unto me. So don't look to the left, don't look to the right, but rest in me. Look to the hills from whence cometh your help, because your help comes from me, says the Lord. I am your rest. I am your confidence. I am the one who is always with you. So again, rest in me. Lean on me. Trust in me. Confidently rely on me. And you will always get the results that I've promised thee. Hallelujah.
0: Oh, we receive that, Lord. Help us do it. Help us do that, Lord. We receive that. Oh, Father, we thank you. Go ahead and give that next tongue.
2: And the more and more you rest in me, the more and more you rely on me, it'll be like an athlete conditioning. Initially, it was hard to do. Initially, it was different and you had to adjust and you had to figure out the best way to do it. But the more you tried, you became even more proficient and resting in me and leaning on me. And that muscle of faith became built up, and it was easier for you to believe. It was easier for you to speak and see. So don't give up. Don't grow weary, but keep pressing. Keep pressing into my presence. Keep pressing into my promises, and you will experience the victory. You will run through the troop and leap over the wall. You will see victory every time you rest on Become consistent in that practice of rest Become consistent in that practice of trust And it'll be easier and easier And the victories will be continuous and continuous And then your praises will continue to go up And you'll draw more people with you And you'll teach them how to rest in me And you'll teach them how to rely on me And the ripple effect will go all over the world And you will continue to see the victory That I've always promised you so rest in me, rest in me, rest in me.
3: Amen. Oh, glory to God.
0: Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory to God. Nathan, you got a song about rest, about resting the Lord? Well, sing something from your spirit. What a
1: friend we have in Jesus our sins and grief to bear what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer oh what peace we often Oh
0: this Christian life if you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart we believe you've been born again we ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com that's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today have an amazing day